everybody. It's Fishtown Local. I'm Gordon Baird, your host. And I am here today with one of my favorite Gloucester people, lives in Gloucester, Franny Alberti. And I'm just going to, before I welcome him, I just want to tell you, he was such a pillar of the music industry, especially when Musician Magazine was going back in the 80s and 90s. For him, he was the 70s too, I'm sure. And this guy is very, very funny fellow and very interesting. So, Franny Alberti, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Right. So, let's talk a little bit about. La the it was late seventies, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's when I am almost in. Um, let's talk a little bit about the past. You were We Are, and We Are is an almost secret Russian spy organization in the record biz to the record companies because they handle all the distribution, and you worked for We Are for. 30 years. Wow. And first in the field with the dealers, the record dealers. First is in the warehouse. Oh, my God. <laughs> and how did you get into it? Uh, the truth be told, I was working in college at Butcher Polish Company in Malden. Every college boy's dream, making above minimum wage. <laughs> and they fired all the summer help. And somebody said they're looking for warehouse help at this uh place and I said what do they do he goes they sell music how did you get kicked upstairs into finance when I met you it wasn't finance oh it wasn't no oh okay you were just more in the accounting side of we because I, I remember Henry I never did accounting oh see here I thought you that was your expertise no we were all sales and marketing got you okay see I got confused because Charlie uh what's his name Charlie Springer yes yeah, Springer and those guys were Distribution, but they were Warners. Weren't they, they weren't distribution. Okay. They were label. Yeah, okay. We would just. We had three major companies: Warner Brothers, Electra Records, Atlantic Records, and then there was a, you know, a group of subsidiaries. So the labels did the signing, did uh, coordinated the marketing plans with us. They did all the radio promotion, and we did the sales and implementation uh, of the marketing to the retailers and to the public. That's fantastic, and the promotion and all that. I met you in 1983. Phi Slamma Houston was playing the college basketball game against... My first year in LA. That's right, UNC. And remember, uh, 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 Val Valno was the coach, and remember the guy hit the jumper right at the buzzer. That's it. Lorenzo Charles. That was his wow, name. Good and that's when I met all of you guys. And you were actually doing the Bee Gees. I remember you had them up in your suite before we watched Yeah, we game. had them for a short period of time. I got a picture of me and the Bee Gees taken <laughs> with Lou Dennis in the background. Wow. So, yeah. So um, very interesting. Um, so right before we got going, you were uh, telling me or starting to tell me one of your favorite Jimi Hendrix stories. And that's what I wanted to ask you. Tell me some of your favorite stories because these are things the public hungers to know. Well, you know, stories change as time goes by. <laughs> of course. Uh, but, but I put a lot of uh, faith in this one because it was told to me by Mo Austin, who was the president and chairman. Of course. Excuse me, the chairman of Warner Brothers Records and one of the most brilliant people ever in the music business. And uh, Warner Brothers Records was part of Warner Brothers Studios. And Steve Ross, who was the chairman of Warner Communications, well. yeah. it wasn't even Warner Communications, it was Kinecorp. And he had gone to work for his father-in-law, and they owned parking lots and mortuaries in New York City. And he really wanted to get into the entertainment business. Well, that was a lot like your business, parking lots and uh, undertakings. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
I guess. <laughs> that, we call that the returns department. Right. Um, but anyway, um, so he wanted to get into the film business, and he bought Warner Brothers Studios was for sale at the time, and he bought Warner Brothers, and along with that came a record company. And he had no idea or about anything about the music business. This is Stephen Ross. This is Stephen yeah. Ross. And so he was looking for somebody to uh, run it. And the major reason he wanted to stay in the music business was because they wanted Sinatra as an actor, but Sinatra wanted to do music. He had left, I forget whether it was Capitol or, yeah. or Columbia at that point, and he wanted to satisfy Frank. So Frank wanted his own moniker. He said, well, we have Warner Brothers Records. And Frank says, well, I want my own. And that's where Reprise came from, oh. was Sinatra. And they had Dean Martin, and they had Bill Cosby, and they had a lot of uh, other comedians mm. that they signed. And Mo, being a forward thinker, and he still is, even in his late 80s, uh, knew and saw what, how things were changing from you know, vocalists to rock. And he kept saying to Frank, you know, we have to get into this type of music. It just can't be you know, what we're doing right now. So he sent the A&R staff out, and they were up in Seattle, and they found this group, guitar player, who was unbelievable. Mo flew up there to see him and was absolutely blown away. And if anybody ever saw Hendrix, you would sure. know. Especially then. I mean, it was, it was a life-altering experience to see that show. So they signed him, and he came back to L.A. and had a meeting with Frank and said, we signed our first rock act. And uh, they couldn't have, Frank Sinatra had no, no clue. You know, well, why would you sign these people? It's yeah. not even, you know, he was, it wasn't his thing, right. but he was smart enough to know that they had to get into it. And uh, so they brought Hendrix and the group down. And uh, they did a showcase and somewhere in Sunset, probably, uh, where most of the showcases were done. And they were, they were just blown away. And one of the things I think that Mo told me was that Sinatra couldn't believe he was, you know, the way he sang, that he was a black guitar player and a black singer. But that's how they get into the, the rock business. Mm. Oh, that's great. Was that before he did Strangers in the Night? Was that on Reprise? Yes. Because that was gigantic yes. for Warners. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. And then Reprise was the label of Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. Right. Yeah. Uh, just amazing. Right. That's fantastic. And, it, and Neil Young. <laughs> and, he, and, and the artists, a lot of them had the opportunity to sign with either label. So Frank had the right to veto him being on the label? Or he would have made a stink. Yeah. I think he, he had like the right, but yeah. I think he was smart enough to know yeah. that... You let your, if you hire people to do a job, you let them do the job. That's right. Well, that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. that's great. So did you get to hang out with Frank in those uh, earliest days? Yeah, he was, he was, uh, I met him twice. Yeah. And uh, he seemed like a really good guy. And, you know, we, first question he asked me, he goes, are you Italian? <laughs> <laughs> I said, only half. He says, what's the other half? I said, Sicilian. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Well, he didn't mind that. So he got a big laugh out of that. His his lawyer, Mickey Rudin, was a tough guy. Oh, jeez. Well, I remember when you, the the music business back 
when you were doing that, the distribution business was a pretty rowdy business in terms of out in the field competition. Of course, the payola things were going on. I know that wasn't in distribution. That was like way before my time. Yeah, there you go. The that first payola. Si- that was 60s. Yeah, but not the Hitman payola. No. Yeah, but that was more radio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that we was, didn't, uh, uh, that was yeah. something we kept yeah. away from. And as a matter of fact, we. You know, back when people were doing things before SoundScan, when yeah. people would try to manipulate yeah. the charts. Um, For everybody who doesn't know, SoundScan is how Billboard nowadays does their charts, and it's based on actual, actual sales. record sales. sales. Yeah. And before it was based on store reports, and if you had relationships with people, you could get, That's right. get the record to moved up higher. You could right. get a yeah. better report. And sometimes tickets, drugs, women, trips. Yeah, we were... One thing I can say about what a music group is, everybody had a malfeasance clause. We were not allowed. It was a very strict, strict policy, yeah. immediate dismissal for any of that stuff. That's why there were indies. No, that's why we had a 51% market share. Because oh, okay. <laughs> in the end, the best artist wins. Okay. Well, that's right. And Warners did. Yeah. Also, your people, I remember the label people, were just so much better to deal with than every other company. And they were people, and they loved the music. I I think part of it was, excuse me, the flexibility that corporate meeting, Warner Communications, and then Time Warner gave to the creative side Mm. of the the company. I mean, we didn't seem to have restraints. They really didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, we produced. I'm sure if we didn't produce, that would have been different. But... They gave us the flexibility to take chances. And Steve Ross, who was the founder so, of Warner yeah, Communications yeah. and then Time Warner, used to tell us, nobody ever get fired for an error of commission, only errors of omission, because if you're not trying new things, you'll never be yeah. successful. And therefore, you sign bands like uh, the Sex Pistols sure. or the Ramones or Madonna, when everybody thought she was like, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. Or you know, the first time we saw Motley Crue, you know, right, or Metallica, were, yeah. why would you sign these bands? Yeah. You know, well, we I remember had, going to 3300 Burbank Boulevard in uh, Burbank, and that was where Warner's was. Where was we? I'm trying to think. We was across the street. Okay, right that's what I thought. Across from Gate 7 of yeah. the Warner Studios. And it was such a wonderful facility. I'm compared to going to Sony, which was Columbia in yeah. the old days. And they were all crunched in there and little, you know work cubicles and you guys were ferns and wood beautiful ferns and no ties great no ties and just a great attitude yeah it it was just you know the thing is they fostered the they let people make decisions Mm -hmm. they fostered creativity um nobody ever got ridiculed for having a bad idea you know we had fun and made fun of people and things like that but it wasn't and we all came up together. The company was started. The labels were put together. First Warner, Warner Brothers, and then he bought Atlantic Records from the Erdogans, Amit and Neshwi, and then uh, Elektra. Mm. So all of us kind of started together out of, out of college and kind of grew up together. Mm-hmm. So there was really no... One of the things at the end, uh, when Roger Ames came in to, buy, to run the company, when things started to go yeah. downhill... Uh, that we didn't have a turnover. Our turnover rate was less than 3%. Unbelievable. Because people didn't leave. Yeah. Oh, you know, it was right. just a place that everybody wanted to be, and we were all career people. Well, I remember what a 
uh, nutty industry because I would go to the NARM shows, which was the National Association of Record Merchandisers. But I remember the casts of the characters of some of those dealers, like uh, our friend Morris Levy, Strawberries, Russ Solomon. In fact, I remember a story that I'd heard, maybe you can confirm or deny, where Russ Solomon was trying to open his Boston store. And uh, there was a little bit of rock and roll with the permits. Yes. And <laughs> we were able to help him with that. Oh, were you? That's great. Well, I always wonder if that was the sort of leg-breaking days of the industry, you know, or maybe that was a little past it. It, it was. I, I think, you know, I think a lot of the stories get blown out of proportion. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't leg-breaking. It wasn't. No. You know, violence. It what was, was escalator permits. Is that it? It was escalator permits, and you slow down the permit process. Right. And then they made friends with someone who could change that. Yes. Because it opened. Yes. Yeah, the store opened. Morris Levy, I remember meeting him. We, we got thrown out of his stores because of something we said about some artist. And, uh, and then I went to a convention. He was in the hotel next door at the Norm, and I had to go, and I literally almost kissed his ring. I was actually there, and he was in the sand sitting there, and I knelt down next to the group of people, and I said hi, and I apologized for relying on this billboard writer who had just bought the company. He was smart. Yeah, that's right. And uh, even though I, I never saw what was wrong, I perception is reality. If he was offended and he kicked us out of his stores, we were wrong. And so, he, literally, I guess, and he forgave me right down in there. Well, so, If you had guts enough to face him up, yeah. then he respected you. Yeah. If you didn't and you caved, he had no respect. That's but, right. you know, he had... I guess a weird sense of principles. If he got into an argument, you would say, we're taking your records out of our stores. Yeah. Well, Marsh, you're cutting off your nose to spite your yeah. face. And he would he say, says, it's my nose care. and my face. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so, the industry could do that. It was very uh, personality oriented. I remember Yetnikoff was running Columbia and we were part of Billboard. And I remember this big brouhaha that hit the fan where uh, Michael Jackson had been number one for how many weeks had it been? 12 or 13 or something like that. And the police apparently had knocked him out, according to all the reporters in the record stores. And I remember that we were in at Billboard when this whole thing broke. And we were pretty close to the publisher of Billboard. And that basically Yetnikoff said, if you don't put Michael Jackson back in number one for one more week, uh, We'll pull every ad that we would ever run. We'll never run another ad in Billboard. Same what you said, but you're spiting your face. Because Billboard was one of the few magazines, trade magazines, where it actually did influence what the retailers did. And they put out the records according to the top 10. And so they really, you could run your business in the beginning using Billboard. I, I always, we always had a great relationship with Billboard. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, I found them to be reasonable people. Yeah. And... Of course, they always try to get us to give up the back page because we had the back page <laughs> That's for right, years you did. and years. Yeah, yeah. But the Michael Jackson year was the only time that Sony ever beat us. But there you go. That's right, exactly. But anyway, I remember that. I was just so shocked that they went and folded. And they gave Yetnikoff uh, one more week. And then the next week, the police moved into first at A&M. Yeah. Uh, but I remember I was just so shocked. And, of course, that's why SoundScan was an improvement because before it was really totally subjective from People both the didn't reporters. Want sound scan. Yeah. I mean, Mike and Mike, Mike Shallot, yeah. and I oh. forget the other Mike. Oh. Uh, Mike Shallot was actually my promotion person in Hartford. Uh, yeah, he said that. Electric yeah. promotion person. He said, he's a, they were both good guys, and 
people are like, well, how are you going to do this? Well, it's a, you know, it's a mathematical equation. That's and, right. And people would just look at them. Well, it was the opposite of what Billboard did. They were paying the chains to report SoundScan. Right. But Billboard was getting money from the chains to go to their online version. Right. Whatever that was called. Uh, Billboard Extra, I think it was called. And when I remember looking at the books, I, I couldn't believe how much money the labels would pay them to basically get the numbers before they hit the magazine. Right. You got them, what, five days early? No, we got them, like, oh, be, well, the magazine was delayed. So we got them on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. And it, the magazine would come out on Friday or Monday. But yeah, so it was only three or four days yeah. to get the info ahead. Yeah, that was more artist relations. Okay. All right. But boy, did they pay a lot for that. Relations. Yeah. And, you, and you know, one of the biggest mistakes that you could make, and I won't name the artist or the person, but it was the chairperson of a company uh, who told an artist they had a number one record. And didn't. And didn't. It came oh. in number two. Really? Because that's, that's why most of the ads run in Billboard. They were to make the artist happy, not even to really reach well, the... It did both. But it's no different yeah. than running a huge ad in the LA Times yeah. or Variety for a movie yeah. or just, putting yeah. a billboard on Sunset. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. ego plays a, you yeah. know, somewhat of a part in everything that we do. Oh, that is so funny. So then later on when we... Uh, uh, was, I guess, the whole company, Warner Music Group. Um, was that uh, AOL and Time and Warner by the time you left? Was that? It was, it was uh, AOL, Time, Warner. So you were part of that acquisition. And then they started moving chips around, and uh, you ended up uh, staying for a few years after they had suggested that you might be done. Well, what my, was it? Don't piss my, off a witness? <laughs> that was Morris Levy. Two things oh, you shouldn't do. Okay, that was it. <laughs> shouldn't like somebody better just because they're dead and never <laughs> piss off a witness. <laughs> Adages you can live by in Gloucester politics, folks. <laughs> so, and there's some truth to both of totally. them. Totally. Oh. But it, it was, you know, my friend Alan Shapiro, who is my senior vice president, who now lives in uh, Houston in Santa Fe, we always, we always say, we did 30 years. And I said, 30 years? I said, yeah, 28 great ones, and the last two sucked. Yeah. <laughs> because what happened is they took, it, it didn't become, one of the things that was beat into your head, whether you were a merchandiser or you were, you know, the president of a company, was that you're never bigger than the act. You know, it was always the artist first. Yeah. You know, and I remember somebody who I knew wrote an article once about how the record companies took advantage of the artists and da-da-da-da-da, and they were totally full of crap. Yeah, yeah. And um, they were nice enough to say, yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I very, I mean, maybe that was true in the 50s and 60s and maybe even into the 70s, but once you... I'd never been in a meeting, and one of the things that the labels did was allow us, we as a distribution company, we were an added value to what the labels did because we had the ability to get records into the marketplace at the right time. Mm-hmm. We had distribution centers all over the, the country. Right positions, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. getting positioning and, and getting that record out there to coincide with. Now, could you control discounts too? Um, in conjunction with the labels and okay. the artists, and some I mean, artists, when EJ Corvette sold a record, a reprise record for two forty nine, that they weren't breaking rules. That was that well, was allowed. Here's the deal: 
We had a suggested list price. We gave a discount. The customer could sell the record for a penny if they that wanted to. That was his to. business, right? Yeah. Okay. Because if you get involved in telling a customer what they can sell for, it's a violation of umpteen right. federal. It's monopoly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you got to be crazy to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, we were investigated numerous times and they never really found anything because yeah. we didn't do anything. Yeah. It's so interesting. Back then, the record companies were like, gods. They were like Greek gods. They were like the planets. You really didn't make it until you had gotten accepted by a big record company because it was all about distribution. And of course, but you know, and and promotion. Yeah. But of course, what they failed to see was that as you guys said, no, it's all about the artist because in the end uh, we can push as much money into these guys, but if you don't have it, it's wasted money. Right. But, but see, that's the thing that people don't understand. It's, you know, you depend on your A&R people, you depend on the chair people at the company, the promotion staff, the people at the labels to make that determination of who they think, you know, not only has the talent, but fits what the label is best at. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, where we that's would sign, right. you know, Fleetwood Mac or the Red Hot Chili right. Peppers and Motley Crue or Metallica or right. Led Zeppelin. That's an audience or, that or, knew you. Yeah, or Genesis or, you know, whoever it may be or Katie Lang or, you know, Faith Hill or Tim McGraw, you know, whoever it might be, we probably wouldn't sign John Tesh. <laughs> that's right. Right back, we, yeah. we had a meeting. I was in a John Tesh meeting and he walked out, very nice person, <laughs> sells a lot of records, but it's like... Nah, nah. We, we can't do that. <laughs> it just wasn't our thing. That is amazing. And, but it, it's, you know, it's, it was always about the artists, and, and that's what, you know, people like Mo and Ahmed Erdogan and uh, Bob Krasnow and whoever was, that's what yeah. the, That's what they preached. He was a lecturer, right? Yes. Uh, EA, right? Yes. And uh, was Asylum part of? Asylum was part of. Well, that was David Geffen's thing. Oh, of course. And then he... And he was distributed originally by WIA. By Electra. By WIA. No, it was actually by Atlantic first. Asylum was first... When oh, I, yes. They were part of Atlantic. But weren't they distributed by WIA? Yes. Yeah, you guys yes. pu- pushed them, as yes. they say. And yeah. then he sold off Asylum and he started Geffen Records. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you, th- if you think about it, Jimmy Iovine, um, who... Everybody in the music yeah. business knows yeah. it was Interscope Records. Um, when they left, when they sold out to he and Ted Field sold out to Universal, he called me and you know he's very gracious, and he was he was a hard guy to deal with. I mean, he would call you at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Shaving." Yeah, right. I said, "Could you please cut your throat? Yeah, right. <laughs> Leave me alone." Yeah, but he probably got up at five. Was all awake, and you were at a disadvantage. No, I was up before he was oh, shaving good. when he called me. <laughs> oh, he was shaving. <laughs> I just had a thought. I know we were in the office. We get in early because <laughs> we had a lot of our businesses on the East Coast. But he had a very interesting point. He said, "You have to realize that your company was the only." And, you know, it's okay to brag a little bit. We were the only company to launch three of the biggest successful labels from the ground up. Geffen, Interscope, Island. Unbelievable. Geffen, yeah. boy, they just took right off. Joni yeah. was on Geffen. And, and we, had, we had Cher, we had Whitesnake, oh, we had uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And, and also you changed with the time. Aerosmith. So when some like that kind of metal came up, you guys had a lot of product yeah. for that. And that, that was... You know, multiple sources of A&R. You had Seymour Stein with Sire. Right, I remember that. You know, yeah, who yeah. was 
just you know is brilliant. Now I'll ask you a question that everybody asks me, and I usually sort of shake my head and say, "Is that all you care about?" But did you find the stars would come walking through because they wanted them to jolly you guys who were selling all their records up? Meaning, would they come and visit you in your offices? Would you have James Taylor walk through, or oh yeah, yeah, or Frank, or yeah, no, Frank never. No, okay. No. He, he was, there's certain artists that would be on that. Yeah, like and they when, could be. Yeah, yeah, like when you two first started, when they came yeah. out, they broke out of Boston and New York. And they opened, their first show in Boston was at the Paradise. They opened for a band called BAK Baruga. <laughs> Where on, are they? On EMI. <laughs> They're working at a car wash in yeah, Ventura right. Boulevard. <laughs> oh, but, I tipped that guy last week. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it's down on uh, Railroad <laughs> Avenue at the car wash, helping Fred out. <laughs> But uh, keep washing Fred down. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was interesting because you know one of the things I think we did better than everybody else, and you know you like to th- everybody likes to think they did a great job, and we had I got to say the other companies had quality people, and uh, we just thought that we did things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Was that we try to get educate the artists and the management early on. We had a ca- thing called. Uh, Warner U, and somebody, it was Warner University. I'm a Warner U. I'm a Warner U. (laughs) So everybody thought it was an Italian thing, but it (laughs) really wasn't. And what we would do is we would bring the artists into the office, into the distribution office, and explain, because they understood the creative process, they understood promotion because the labels did a job of, you know, educating them that way. But really, managers and artists really didn't understand how the records got Mm. from yeah. pressing plant to the warehouse to into the stores and, and to up front in the stores yeah i mean it's the boring stuff yeah that's right and you know the posters get up in the wall or they tour right. they're in touring in east overshoe and they walk into a store and their stuff is mis- mysteriously there i've been to east overshoe by the way <laughs> yeah, nice place <laughs> yeah isn't very it? nice um so did you meet hendrix did he come into the office he was he died early on i mean i wasn't I even so at 69 yeah, yeah right oh yeah of course yeah. what am i yeah Except I guess it was a little later, early 70s or something. Yeah. yeah, so he was part of the 27 Club. How about Joni? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my wife's favorites. Mine, too. Yeah. I just... We actually have Joni Mitchell Prince at a house in California. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, well, that is so interesting. Now, you in Gloucester, you live here full-time. You don't go back to California anymore, right? Yes. Yes, you do? Yes. Oh, do you go back in the winter? Yes. Oh, I yes. thought Good you were one. toughing it out, say, man. when do you go back? Yeah. In the summer. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the reason I ask that is that you Because you are, go to Florida, and we, you know we call uh, no, Flo- you know, California is called Florida, I'm, God's the, waiting room. I am the stupid guy who stays here year-round with Jim. Um, but uh, I guess what I want to do is compliment you that you've kind of dove in, divin, whatever the word, dived into Gloucester for the good of Gloucester, and that you're on the uh, building committee. And you're on the library committee that is going to help them do a little rebranding. Yes. And I'm impressed. You seem to know a lot of people behind the scenes, bigwigs. And volunteer at Maritime Gloucester. And everybody should go there and become a member. Yep. And make sure you have a library card. Yeah. Oh, you're on the board, too? I'm not in any boards. Oh, I, okay. I, I'm not a good board person. Yeah. <laughs> I had a rule. Never more than three boards at once. No, and no. now I'm down to none. <laughs> I, see, I see what you went through at boards. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I volunteer for committees. I like giving tours down at Maritime and Gloucester. The home. people are wonderful. Yeah. That's right. You did the whale thing for quite a while. Yeah, before they closed. The whale information. Whale yeah. yeah. Well, the timing was good because that was when whale watching was booming. And it's everybody still booming. Was, 
It what? I mean, it's still booming in sort Gloucester. Of. But there used to be 21 trips a day. There were like seven companies doing three trips a day each. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I'd be out there sailing my little boat and have to worry about getting run down. Yeah. Nowadays, it's, I don't worry about getting run down by anyone because there's yeah. no more boats. Well, they usually, they do Including usually fishing two, boats. two trips a day. Yeah. Uh, and I believe there's Six. three companies. Oh, three. There, okay. You know, yeah. Cape Ann, Captain yeah. Bill. And uh, Yankee Fleet. No, there you go. So there's this three. I, yeah. I mean, as long as I've been doing it since I yeah. left was... Uh, Did you like meeting Joni Mitchell? Did you ever get to meet any of the important whales, like, you know, Namu or any of the famous uh, <laughs> beluga? I mean, actually, to be honest with you, uh, I've never been in a whale watch. Ah, I knew Bill you Cunningham, were going to say that. Excuse me, Mark Cunningham from Captain Bill's. Uh, keeps priding me, and I'm actually, t- my wife, Rebecca, and I are taking my grandson, Jackson, on a whale watch next week. Well, that's the excuse, is to take the kids. So because that, be, yeah. That'll uh, be the first time. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And how is Jackson doing? He's doing great. Is that good? So all of that stuff back in the J.J. era, that... With his heart transplant. With the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's doing fine. He's in the running club. He plays yeah. oh, cello. Great. He goes to basketball camp. He, how old is he? He's 10. 10. I was going to say, he's like, got eight a or nine. beautiful yeah. little sister, Olivia, oh. who's five. Yeah. Well, you helped push that because you remember the J.J. Nicastro thing? Well, he was part of that, and they were going through joint horrors at once, and your guy made it, and yeah. J.J. That, did not, that was I a, it's, it's. I mean, it's still sad. It's still, I don't yeah. really talk about it. I know. So, don't want to mean to bring it up. I don't talk up, about that stuff usually. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, you are a font of stories, information, thrills, and chills. I wish that um, we could really get down to some of those inside stories, but that might have to be another show. I never give it up. I know, exactly. But Franny Alaberti, I got to tell you, I was always so impressed. Henry Drose, your boss, was like a legend. He was like Odin or whoever the chief god was there, okay. Zeus. I mean, he really invented modern record distribution. Did and, he? And he was really the, the you know, the... I mean, it's it's lucky. I think one of the things that those of us from my generation and the generation hopefully behind us, um, and I'm proud to say that Steve Berman, who's the vice chairman of Interscope Records, uh, was one of our interns. <laughs> and, uh, you trained him well. <laughs> and he's doing well. I think we all had good mentors, and we were lucky enough to have good mentors. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that was... That made it so much, you know, besides the flexibility and the freedom and great artists and things like that, is it was always people to t- teach you. Eddie Rosenblatt, Mo oh, Austin, totally. Henry Oh, Drose. I loved Eddie Rosenblatt. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's living the life up in Santa Barbara. He is now? Yes. And Actually, he has, moved to Montecito. Right. He, oh, of course. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Oh, I remember. He was so nice to us, and we were just getting going, and we're kids. He got bought in, bought us lunch. And, and, and you know, and that, that's the thing is, when you see the chairman of Time Warner, coming out to your warehouse to talk to your warehouse crew. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things that, or, you know, Henry Drove's going to, you know, some little town to see a show, and one of our merchandisers, entry-level position, is there merchandising the band and making sure the, uh, the music's in the stores. I hate the word product. Yeah, I know. Um, me too. It's like a mattress company right. or something. You know, yeah. what do you sell it? I you think know, a pencils. Jack Euster of uh, right. Musicland. It's just like, what'd you think of this? He goes, I don't listen to music. It's like mattresses to me, he was said to some. But Henry would sit, we'd go out, there'd be a dinner, 
And he would say to this merchandiser, sit with us. Yes, I had to. Yeah. And to the kids, that (laughs) was, you know, you never realize that it's a big, I mean, I know how I felt when it happened to me. And these kids, it was a big deal to have the chairman of the company. That's right. You know, be able to know your name and recognize you. Because that doesn't happen today. Well, you had great mentors. And I have to say, your company, just from the outside, when I think of the other companies we dealt with, Barney Graham and RCA and Columbia, they were so faceless. They didn't want to know you. They either were going to buy the ad from your magazine or get the story, but they didn't want to meet you and know you. And it was always so arm's length, all these companies, which was sort of strange because the sales distribution ad, it was all about glad handing. But up in the ivory towers, it was the ivory towers. Like a guy like Eddie Rosenblatt, he couldn't have stayed at Columbia because they'd always be, you know, what do you be? Being so nice to these people for you know like well we signed it we signed a there was a big bidding war at a, a major artist um and they had done you know the the route you know they go up to see paul yeah. graham they go to yeah. be a, a rca right. they go to this one they go to sony they yeah. go to this and and when they came into our uh, you know they bring them over to the to the label and then they fly them out to meet us and we explain what we do and da 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 you know you're doing the dance yeah <laughs> and the one thing they liked was they went through a list of i like the fact that you have a bathroom in your office <laughs> and artists sign it but you know they go through the silly stuff yeah um but you guys don't wear shirts and ties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing that they always liked the most was there was always music blasting somewhere. And we'd have Friday afternoon meltdown yeah. and everybody in the office oh. got to blast the, their favorite song of the oh, week. Yeah. I remember going into Warner's at Burbank and I remember we had just come out with some awesome article about a Warner's person. I remember walking through and all the people were going, hey, how you doing? And they were so friendly and they were saying, hey, great article. And that, because they all read Musician Magazine. This is after a little while. This is not when we first started. I remember it was around, I'll tell you who it was, John Fogarty. It was when we did that. And who was the president then? Teddy? uh, No, Ted Templeman was the uh, producer. Who was the president? Uh, Really? Teddy Warnica. That's right, Lenny Barker. What's wrong with me? And we went in, and there was a giant poster of the cover, of our cover, on, behind his desk. Yeah. In, behind his head. I was like, wow. And he was introducing us to everybody. Everybody was, oh, we love that story. And of course, it was uh, Centerfield. Remember, he got that great song. And it gets, and Anyway, well, uh, we're out of time, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming. Thank and thank you for, you for staying me. in Gloucester and doing what you do. And uh, you look like a kid. What year did you get out of high school? 1967. Okay, so you are 67. You are 66 now and about to turn, right? No, I'm actually 69. Oh. I like the ninth grade and the 11th grade oh, okay, so much. Because right. I graduated in 68, so I was trying to triangulate. Oh, okay. Wow, you are. See, I could I be your you, What a baby brother. face, huh? Look at this guy. You could pass for 50. No, it's my, it's, oh, that's great. It's, it's all my wife's doing. 70 is the new 50. Uh, hey, I want to thank. Healthy living and healthy cooking. Uh, well, I want to thank your wife for keeping you going so well. And we got to get you back because we've just scratched the surface. And I want to thank Jim Capillo, thank you, Jim. our engineer who's a big fan of our show, and I am a big fan of his. So, we will see you next time on Fishtown Local. Franny Aliberti, thank you so much for coming. You're welcome.